Access to pathogen genomic sequence data is important for public health preparedness, prevention, and response, but there's no global system for sharing information about genomic sequences, and the various repositories where data are shared operate on varying principles and under varying terms. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Sam Halabi, a professor of health management and policy at the Georgetown University School of Health. Professor Halabi has co-authored a perspective article about facilitating sharing and aggregation of pathogen genomic sequence data for public health objectives. Professor Halabi, you write in your perspective article that the story of the SARS-CoV-2 genome demonstrates the problem with the current disjointed system for sharing pathogen genomic sequence data. So could you describe the gaps that affected how and when information about the virus was shared? Absolutely. We know with relative certainty that the sequence was uploaded to two databases on January 10th, 2020. One of those was GenBank, which is a repository run by the United States government and is part of a collaboration with the government of Japan and the European Union. A second site to which the sequence was uploaded was virological.org, a discussion forum. It doesn't characterize itself as a repository run by Andrew Rambeau at the University of Edinburgh. There's a little bit of a dispute as to whether or not the sequence was uploaded on that day or after to Gisade, a very prominent repository that started out as a repository for influenza sequences, but has expanded to cover SARS-CoV-2 and others. Those platforms all operate on different rules. So GenBank, for example, holds itself out as a place where scientists can share important data, but doesn't govern its use. So scientists worry about other scientists taking credit for their work. They worry about not being properly attributed. They worry about what applications may be developed downstream, which they should be included as partners or collaborators or rights holders, but aren't. Virological.org holds itself out as a place where people mainly converse or just share ideas or analyses. And it by explicit terms, prohibits the use of data shared on that site as part of commercial development. Gisade has the most detailed rules, so it's not possible to participate or upload sequences to Gisade without registering as an individual person that can be identified and without following its fairly extensive terms of use. The advantage of those terms of use is that they ensure attribution and require those using the site to include those with whom they've shared information in future downstream collaborations. The downside is that GISA doesn't operate in a particularly transparent way, and it can sometimes penalize users without those users knowing really why or how that happened. Why is there so much variation, both in the terms under which data may be contributed and than the rules governing the subsequent use of the data. There was never, at its origin, a centralized place where scientists could share this information and certainly not do so in a way where public health or planning or response was prioritized. The incentives for scientists and most academic researchers is attribution, publication in prominent journals. That is what ultimately incentivizes their work other than in the abstract, a quest for knowledge or truth. And if I can draw upon the example or lessons from the human genome, the same problem applied. So when the human genome was being fully mapped, there was no system for ensuring that all of the information about the human genome 
was available, especially for clinicians who could identify responses or cures to very specific and rare genetic disorders. And that problem still applies in many ways in the human genome context. But together, scientists developed what were called the Bermuda Principles, which essentially articulated this ideal of free and open sharing. It was never fully realized. And what developed is the same thing that's developed in pathogen sequences, a series of disaggregated repositories and sharing places with differing rules. The difference is that there has been more success developing sort of ad hoc or case-by-case agreements or federations. Uh, so there are for example, agreements between eight repositories to share information on a very particular genetic disorder. But at the end of the day, there was just no centralized source for that kind of sharing and openness. And you say in your article that access to a free nonprofit repository is essential for tracking pathogens that have epidemic and pandemic potential. So what kinds of agreements or partnerships would be necessary to establish that kind of repository? What we propose in the article is modeled on the successes, however they're ultimately evaluated, in the human genome context. So GISAID, which has by far the strictest rules on the sharing and use of data in its repository, would enter into a formal agreement with GenBank and a formal agreement with Virological.org. And just to be clear, those aren't the only three platforms to which the analysis is applicable it's just three that we thought representative of the world of sharing in the pathogen genomic sequence sphere, whereby public health access by researchers would be allowed or would essentially be an exemption from otherwise applicable rules, including, for example, GISAID's rules about attribution and downstream use. GISAID also is fairly strict about sharing sequences uploaded there anywhere else, or virological.org's terms about the commercial development from information shared on the site. So those public health access agreements would essentially create a safe space during a pandemic, for example, for scientists to share frequently, use a unique identifier so that the attribution would attach to their work and hopefully the response would be facilitated. So how could incentives for all parties involved, investigators, community sponsors, be aligned to generate buy-in for broader data sharing and broader aggregation? We think that ultimately, and in some ways, the perspective is meant to be the groundwork to a broader conference and convening of constituencies around this issue to create something like an international organization committed to that issue that could not only facilitate these agreements that we've mentioned, but also create a much more principles-based approach to scientific sharing. But in answer to your question specifically, we think the answer is ultimately the use of unique identifiers for each scientist or research laboratory, probably using something like blockchain applications that would ensure that the attribution follows downstream access and use. Now that would require a great deal more integration and federation of the currently available platforms. But we think that that is the direction that we should go. And we think that is how incentives will ultimately match public health priorities. What about that technical side? What kinds of tools, in addition to perhaps to blockchain, would be needed to facilitate the implementation of this sort of repository? The most important would be a unifying set of identifiers for researchers. So GenBank has a different system of accession numbers that's used for uploads and attribution. 
and doesn't require that those uploads or sharing be attributed to a natural living, breathing person, for example. GSA does require such attribution, but has an entirely different set of identifiers that are used. So the most important step would be a universal set of identifiers for those who participate in this work. Finally, in your article, you mentioned the potential role of the World Health Assembly in this area. So how could that body support streamlined sharing of genomic sequence data and what other stakeholders might play roles in it? The World Health Assembly is the governing body of the World Health Organization. In other words, it sort of sets the agenda for the technical work of those who are at WHO and to some extent plays the most important role in dedicating resources to its activities. The World Health Assembly has recently authorized the negotiation of an international pandemic agreement to address a number of failures that were experienced, not only during COVID-19, but in epidemic emergencies that preceded it. The authority it has to convene governments especially and to amalgamate technical undertakings that are occurring worldwide gives it a very special place to be able to develop convenings and standards in this space. Now, it has done so a couple of times in the recent past, but it is also comprised of governments, which means that if there's any strong position by a government that opposes movement in one direction or another, it's very hard to really come up with a concrete forward propelled course of action. So the two reports that it's generated have been essentially lists uh, or compilations of experiences. But we think that it can and has in other contexts be more leading. And we think in this context, it can be and should be. And that this particular issue, this idea of developing a unified platform for sharing and facilitating agreements between platforms is something that can be and should be integrated into the pandemic agreement text that's now being negotiated. And that's a call we make toward the end of the perspective. Thank you, Professor Halabi.